Welcome, y'all, to the Direct Examination Podcast. I'm Amber Fulmer. And I'm Dane Phillips. And I'm Joseph Bias. Once again, before we get started tonight, we just wanted to thank you all again for listening and following us on social media. It's always wonderful to know that y'all are both entertained and informed, and we really enjoy hearing from our listeners. So please continue to keep those comments coming and listening to our audio. And before we go anywhere else, I'm going to throw it over to Dane. Well, our distinguished guest is South Carolina Supreme Court Justice John Cannon Few. He was sworn in with the South Carolina Supreme Court on February 9th of 2016, so he has his sea legs under him now. <laughs> had plenty of oral arguments, uh, obviously in his prior life as the chief judge of the uh, Court of Appeals. But kind of going back, he was born in Anderson, grew up in Greenwood, a graduate of Duke University where he served as the Duke's athletic mascot, the Blue Devil, during his junior year. We'll certainly ask him about that. And <laughs> yeah, he graduated from the University of South Carolina School of Law, as the host of this podcast did as well. And he served as the student works editor on the South Carolina Law Review. And he began his career as a law clerk, as uh, many people did, who ultimately end up on the bench. And then did private practice before being sworn in as a circuit court judge, then the chief judge of the Court of Appeals, and then a justice on the South Carolina Supreme Court. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, glad to have you. Obviously, I've gotten to argue in front of you several times, or numerous times, at the Court of Appeals, and uh, maybe only once now at the Supreme Court, if if at all. So, uh, and have a couple cases coming up that way, so I'll be ready to see you uh, soon enough. Uh, <laughs> starting early. Well, we always, always look forward to having a little fun in oral argument. Always be closing, right? So... With that, uh, again, we're glad to have you on. One of the things uh, that we certainly wanted to start with is that journey, that progression of becoming a judge uh, when you have that private practice background. Uh, and I know, I believe it's your uh, father that certainly has a very successful history as a private practitioner in civil litigation. And so if you could kind of explain that journey. Well, I think I was suppo- uh, first exposed to being a trial lawyer when I was a little boy. And I, growing up in Greenwood, my dad was trying a lot of cases. He practiced law with the old Burns McDonald Bradford law firm, which is now called McDonald Patrick in Greenwood. And I would go up to the courthouse from time to time and watch him try cases, certainly listen to stories about that. And then when I finished college, went to law school um, and started practicing law, I practiced with my dad for eight years and we tried a lot of cases. And my identity as a trial lawyer is still very important to me. And it remained that way the whole time I was a trial judge and even at the at the appellate court. But I just got to a point where I was just ready to look for something new, gave some random thoughts to the idea that I could be a circuit judge when Judge Pyle was retiring back in 2000 and started through the process of understanding how the election works and actually kind of liked that and so stuck with it got good at it got lucky won my circuit court race on the first try and 10 years as a trial judge I was that's right I was I was off to the races justice few what makes a good trial lawyer the first thing that makes a good trial lawyer is the understanding that you represent a client 
and that when that client's interests are at stake, that it is your privilege and your duty to stand up and speak and not to let other considerations get in the way, not to let an ordinary trial judge (laughs) or a combative lawyer on the other side keep you from being the voice that that client deserves under our legal system if our system's going to work the right way. And, of course, you add in there hard work, intelligence, uh, attention to detail. But to me, the most important thing is understanding the role that a lawyer plays in a citizen's opportunity to litigate a problem. And one of the things I wanted to bring up, and I I told them in in appearing before you that this issue of really standing your ground, advocating your position for your client, that one of the things that I noticed over time is that you would like to press to see if a lawyer will concede on an issue, particularly a crucial issue, a critical issue, and, and like to see the lawyer, uh, regardless of which way you stood on it, I could sometimes even tell that you wasn't uh, maybe 100% behind that issue, but you wanted to see the lawyer really take a stand on making sure they argue that issue, that they do not concede that issue, because at the appellate court, uh, when you're dealing with air preservation and and certainly a few minor steps in the record, you could lose your entire appeal. I I know kind of the moment that you are talking about, and not in one <laughs> not in not in one oral argument, but in an oral argument. So I I I don't think that I I'm not consciously trying to make someone give away a point. But what I'm trying to do when in this moment you're talking about is to narrow the issue because that to me is very important. And I think that lots of times you get into an argument, whether it be at counts at in a conference room like this, long before litigation, whether you be at a motion for summary judgment hearing, discovery hearing, trial, appeals, whatever, and one lawyer or judge is saying one thing and the other lawyer or judge is hearing something completely different. And the conversation just keeps on going. It's just so important to try to narrow the issue. And from a lawyer's standpoint, you don't always necessarily want that to happen. Right. Because yeah. you're, it's like when I go back to standing up for your client's interests, sometimes you need that flexibility to maneuver for your client. I get that. But my job is to nevertheless, or on some occasions at least, to nevertheless try to narrow the issue. So that's where that struggle comes up. But I don't ever try deliberately to make someone give up on a point that where where it would be like a um, a forfeit, a forfeiture, <laughs> right. a uh, procedural failure. I don't. I, but but I know that the way it can get in kind in conversation, I call it conversation mm-hmm. in a courtroom, is that it can seem like that, especially from from where you stand. Is there? I'm, I've always been curious ever since I found out what the Supreme Court was. Is there a time where all the justices kind of go back and say, whew, that was a rough one, or whew, that attorney did pretty well? Oh, yeah. Okay. I wonder if y'all like talked about us the way like we talk about you guys uh, up on well, the bench. Of course, I can't say what we say. Obviously, but, obviously. But I can say that we, uh, like anybody else, will make our observations about what we enjoyed, what we thought was funny, what we didn't enjoy, what we didn't think was funny, and things of that nature. So, yes. <laughs> gotcha. 
What's the number one thing that you see that you wish attorneys didn't do when they're in front of you arguing? Or even back when you were on the circuit court bench, what's the number one thing that you would you would pass on and say, don't do this. If I could stand up now and tell you anything not to do, don't do this. Well, I'll go back to what I said earlier about what's important for a trial lawyer because I think that you can flip that around very easily and say the most important thing not to do is to hold back for your own interests. A lot of court can be tough. And you know, <laughs> Dane, when you were at the Office of Indigent Defense and you were up there arguing a lot, it sometimes there, we take quite a beating. Some, well, <laughs> but you got to hold. But, you got to advocate for your client. I mean, those were the issues that we had, and those were the issues that we were raised. Uh, that were raised, and you got to stand your position. And and just just to sort of set the the tone for the timing of where you all are in your careers. When I was where you are, it was tougher. The I, have, I have no the doubt. Judges okay. back then, you know, you you mentioned me clerking. I clerked for G. Ross Anderson Jr., federal district judge, who was he was hard. He was tough, and and I learned. From experience, although I never actually went to jail <laughs> in front of Judge Anderson, but I every time I entered the courtroom, I knew that my duty to represent my client could put me in a situation where I would have to stand down the judge and might end up in jail. Now that's a people laugh when I say that sort of because they think I'm kidding, but you know, back in that day, it was it was it was different. So it's tough now. It's tough now, but you. So so what? I what bugs me to get back to your question is when 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 I look at a lawyer and I think that that lawyer is protecting their own peace or relationship with the judge or whatever when they ought to be more a zealous a, advocate, more a more zealous advocate, exactly. Well, and with that, uh, kind of speaking about oral arguments and uh, transitioning, there's a lot of discussion about how important oral arguments are. How often does the court, either the Court of Appeals or Supreme Court, uh, do the justices or judges, depending on which court you're on, do you feel like you've kind of already had your mind made up, you've read the briefs, you've got the arguments, you've got the bench memos from the staff attorneys, you've got your law clerk's memos, obviously you've seen the lawyer's briefs, when you walk into oral argument, how many times do you feel like you, you've been swayed by an argument when you only have that snapshot in time, that 10 or 15 minutes of, our, of argument? I would say a very high percentage of the time. Really? That makes me feel good. There's this, <laughs> there's this quote that people bounce around. I've heard it attributed recently in something I was reading to Justice Scalia that said you, can, you can't win a case at oral argument, but you can lose one. And... With all due respect to if him, if that's who said it, I just completely disagree with that. And you you get into oral argument, especially with our court. One thing that people might or might not know about our court is that we do not conference cases before oral argument. Right. So there probably has not been a real detailed, in-depth discussion between the justices about the case before we walk into the courtroom. In most instances, we probably haven't even talked about it. Now, we exchange writings from time to time, but but so I think that 
I don't know what my colleagues are thinking. That's, I might, but it's, it, there's not an organized template for on, through which we would make that determination. And I have a, I might have a tough question that that I that's burning in my mind. I want to hear what other people's perspectives are on the question. So it wouldn't be correct to say that 80% of the time we change our mind, but it would be correct to say that a very high percentage of the time, our ideas, not only about how the case should come out, but also about the structure of thought that gets to that point are not cast in stone when we get to oral argument. And I have had numerous occasions, I can think of several that are almost comical, where I walked into the courtroom, this was particularly true at the Court of Appeals, where I walked into the courtroom and I I thought, I told my law clerks, this is going to be, I don't even know why we're arguing this case, (laughs) because I know the answer. And I walk out going, holy cow, that lawyer (laughs) completely changed my mind. Not the losing lawyer, but the winning lawyer, who may have heard me or another judge say something, giving them an opportunity to, to, to say, oh, that's what you're thinking. Well, let me explain why that's not correct. And that is fun right there. When, when, but I go into oral argument with questions, and I try very hard not to go into oral argument with answers. That's very optimistic for the lawyers, obviously, <laughs> appearing before the court, because there's kind of sometimes this perpetuated myth that <clears throat> the justices and judges are generally having their minds made up ahead of time going into oral arguments. So hearing that's a, a great thing. SCProBono.org. Uh, this is, from our understanding, this is your baby. This is uh, created. Can you talk to us about what drew you to the pro bono aspect of the legal profession and why create the uh, website? I think all of us, in the early development of our thinking about why we want to be a lawyer, that thinking centers on the opportunity to help people. And when I think most of us think about that opportunity, the really most rewarding opportunities are to help people who can't afford to pay for it. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's that moment when you when you're doing something for somebody that that you don't have to that I think give lawyers the most meaningful experiences in their careers and my, from my own experience and I think from the experience of of a lot of people it is and it is that experience that we look for when we go to law school we we want to be the person who can step up and help somebody who can't otherwise help themselves mm-hmm. along the way we get diverted from uh, from that in in a number of really important ways, like the need to put food on the table and right. prepare right. to send that children to college thing. and right. things of that nature. So there's nothing. So you know, I'm a big fan. I'm a huge fan of lawyers making money. And one of the things that concerns me, I think, concerns a lot of folks who have the responsibility to participate in leadership of the legal system, is that our right and opportunity to be those people who are given this monopoly to help people is is more and more in jeopardy as we move forward. We have lots of issues that are going on with the practice of law that I think we have to think carefully about. And if we 
if we are not able as a profession to meet the basic goal or duty of the legal system for people who can't afford to pay for that, then we are putting ourselves much more at risk to lose that monopoly and, and have non-lawyers come in and do our work. So all of that as a little bit of a background, but also when I was, um, when I was growing up as a lawyer, practicing with my dad, it was very important that we never let anybody leave without having shared our thoughts with them about their problem. It might be that we took the case. It might be that we told them they didn't have a case. It might be that we said, we don't know whether you have a case, but call so-and-so because they mm -hmm. have more expertise in that subject. But it was just real important that nobody leave the office thinking, well, that person wouldn't talk to me. As a lawyer's role in the community is to be there and talk to people who need help. So anyway, with that backdrop, I had put together the appellate practice project at the Court of Appeals where we took 100 cases over three years, criminal appeals that were going to get a oral argument, and got private lawyers to handle those cases for free. And people, when I said, when I said I can get 100 private lawyers to handle an appeal for free and do a oral argument and help indigent defense or appellate defense catch up, people, a lot of people said I was crazy. And I was quite sure that I was right because lawyers crave those opportunities. And the Appellate Practice Project was real successful. So then I wanted to think about ways that we might be able to scale up the pro bono opportunity for lawyers on the at the trial level and, and, and even outside of trial, like doing things like wills and powers of attorney and things like that. So uh, got into a conversation with some folks in Aspen, Colorado, about technology and using technology to, to do this. And over the course, uh, I was telling, uh, y'all were laughing at me earlier about this speed dating thing. It was in, like in, a, <laughs> in an article that was written at the USC Law School, and it's posted online there. I had been at a speed dating event. I didn't even know that's what it was. I thought it was something <laughs> else. And I walk in, and I'm expected to give this idea, and I was going to get feedback. That's, right. It's not speed dating from the sense of meeting people. It was speed dating in the sense of... Sharing ideas. and Right, developing ideas right. to try to have a bigger impact in a community and a think tank, so to speak, a bouncing off, brainstorm. Yeah. And, um, and so the, all the, all the feedback I was getting was technology, which I knew. So, so I go back up to the, to this little place where everybody was eating lunch and I was telling a story to Mikey Johnson of Orangeburg. He's not a lawyer. He's a, um, he's in the Cox family. He recently uh, sold their company, but, uh, he was the CEO of Cox Enterprises. And I, as I'm telling Mikey this, um, this man sitting across the table, I didn't know him. He is the chairman of the board of an international software company called Folio 3. And he said, he said, John, I can, I can design that software for you. And so at a cost of, we, we went and got a grant from the South Carolina Bar Foundation. Uh, and they designed this software, which is basically a digital marketplace. It works like you would, like you would use Uber to catch a ride home or Airbnb to find a place to stay. And what, what the way it works is a lawyer who wants to participate in a pro bono sign, sign up. It takes about 10 minutes to go through the sign up process. The, the web address, which I'm sure you guys will talk about later, but it's uh, scprobono.org. And uh, if anybody needs help, then the, my staff or the staff at the Greenville Bar, hopefully soon the South Carolina Bar, can help walk the lawyer through the sign up. But in the sign up process, you get to give the system information about what kind of cases you want to handle, 
from a subject matter standpoint, from a geography standpoint, you can pick the counties where you're willing to do pro bono work, and then you tell the um, system how many cases you're willing to handle. The system will then use that information to match you up with a pro bono client who has already been qualified through legal services. And when the matchup occurs, it's not like you get assigned a case. That's that's one of the one of the key premises of this software is that no lawyer will ever be just given a case. But the lawyer, each lawyer has a dashboard. They log in, look at their dashboard. The cases that fit their profile are on the dashboard, and you can scroll through and pick cases, pick a case that you might be interested in. If you pick the case, the system will automatically send a, an email to the client, telling the client to give you a call. At that point, you have no obligation, and you can then do whatever you want to do to investigate whether you want to take the case. Do a conflicts check, do some legal research, talk to the client, get some documents, whatever, just like you would in your normal practice. If you then decide to take the case and, and create an attorney-client relationship, then you notify the system in, of that, and then we leave you alone. Right. We, we will, the system will send you an email on a regular basis, an infrequent regular basis, just to ask, just to say, let us know what's up. If it's a, a case that has some urgency, the system knows that, it will send you an email perhaps once a week. If it's a case that is going to take a while, like some sort of defending a collection action of something of that nature, the case that the system might remind you once a quarter or even once every six months. If you sign up, you get free malpractice coverage through the South Carolina Bar. The South Carolina University of South Carolina Law School, uh, I forget exactly what they call it, but it's a pro bono clerking program. You get free law clerk services through the South Carolina Law School. That's great. Ooh, that is and, nice. uh, <laughs> and it it's it hopefully is an opportunity for us here in South Carolina to scale up our ability to engage in pro bono without having to hire a huge team of administrative people. So it, it basically eliminates the administration right. where somebody's got to be making a phone call. Hey, Joseph, will you take this case? Oh, let me call Dane. Dane, will you take the case? And so um, that's that's the goal. Technically, it works. It, and, and it's running right now in Greenville. And that then brings us squarely up against the reality that lawyers are reluctant to do free legal work. So. So it sounds to me, and my, my married colleagues won't know anything about it, it sounds like <laughs> almost like a lawyer tender where you kind of swipe, you match up with people. I mean, you guys can't confirm this, but I, my you, clients can. You can think your clients can, obviously. <laughs> I do do So, yeah, where you match up with people. So, so for the record, I don't know what tender is. <laughs> no, and, and, but, but, for but, audio purposes, I'm looking at my married <laughs> colleagues, not you, sir. But when, when we first started this design process, the designers kept calling it legal Uber. And I said, you got to quit doing that. We're going to get a cease and desist <laughs> right, letter right. From, from Uber. So one of my law clerks says, why don't you call it legal tender? There you <laughs> go. Legal tender. Love it. Um, so right now, is it is anybody able to sign up or is it just Greenville? Can Any, anybody can sign up because of the way it's running on a limited geographical basis out of Greenville. There aren't there are very few cases available to somebody in Columbia. But I'm hopeful, I'm very confident that the South Carolina Bar is on the verge of making the decision to roll this thing out on a, in a, at a gradual pace, not the whole state all at once, but picking four or five counties, get it rolled out there, and those would be counties all over the state that are diverse in size. Well, luckily, we had the executive director on a couple of weeks ago, and I know he's listening, so 
he can uh we're gonna help get that process <laughs> yes. started right? david well, yeah what's up david <laughs> and of course this would be a great opportunity for young lawyers who want to get some experience outside of maybe their practice area where they're kind of stuck in a practice area that they're not 100 percent on but that's what pays the bills but they'd like to take say a criminal case or some type of other uh, case that's out there and they would have that opportunity to at least sell it to the law firm that they work for that the malpractice is covered and they'd have law uh, law clerk assistance so i think this would be a great thing for young lawyers to look into as well i mean that it shouldn't be just limited to firms kind of looking out there to do pro bono work but also for experience opportunities for young lawyers and it's exactly that desire that we're trying to tap into to give lawyers who feel that unfulfillment that you're talking about because they're not able to get out there and get dirty and hold hands with somebody who really needs help give them that opportunity and oh you don't have to point to he does insurance defense <laughs> yeah i, 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 I do insurance defense so i'm the uh, <laughs> but i also do mock trial and help, well, help kids you. thank you dan okay. <laughs> justice that's Fugue. the lord's work that's yeah that's right that 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 cleanses me <laughs> um justice few we don't often have a uh, sitting Supreme Court Justice on our podcast. So we're going to take the opportunity to introduce a new segment that we're going to call What's the Verdict? And basically, I'm going to give you some very brief questions, and you can just give us your opinion as the uh, sitting judge of the uh, Supreme Court. And the first is very important. So you're mulling over an important legal issue. What is the justice view lunch option in Columbia that makes sure that you can get you to legal opinion greatness? If I'm short on time, it's the chicken salad wrap from Blue Flower. If I have plenty of time, then it is uh, one of the big hamburgers that you can get all over town, and the restaurant itself doesn't really matter, but give me that, Just give a me big, that big old burger. Give me the big hamburger and a five-minute nap. I'm ready to roll. <laughs> What's the reversal lunch? That's what I, 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 I <laughs> You're going to start sending catering to the Supreme Court. That's Just great. send it up there. All right. Best barbecue in the state. You traveled a little bit. Well, one of the one of the big problems of being from Greenville is that it's not Greenville. There's there's we don't really have scandalous. We don't have great barbecue in Greenville. Like everywhere else I've been, uh, it, you can find that great barbecue. Roger Young, and hopefully there's somebody who's a judge in Charleston, and somebody may be listening and going, "Oh my gosh, Judge Hughes on a podcast," and they will <laughs> think about Roger Young because about 12 years ago, Roger Young did a podcast that became quite controversial. So some people and I was on it. <laughs> we'll get a laugh out of that. But Roger wants to know, where's the best barbecue? And and he's got very specific ideas. And my answer is that it's the barbecue joint you're sitting at. <laughs> yeah. It's the best barbecue in South Carolina. I, I still held a bunch of court in Clarendon County. They have amazing barbecue. Um, we ate lots of great barbecue lunches there. Duke's in Orangeburg. I remember when I was clerking for Judge Lee, it was always the counties of the places that you didn't expect, but the clerk of court or the security guard knew this one hole in the wall place, and that'd be the best food. And I'm th- I, all mm-hmm. of a sudden, I'm thinking of Midway Barbecue between Buffalo and Union. I was holding court in Union and um, uh, Pete. Uh, the, 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 uh, my mind is blanking right now, but they took me to the, they took me to the Midway Barbecue. They called it the, um, uh, six, the $12 barbecue. $6 for a plate of barbecue and $6 to get your suit clean. <laughs> <laughs> My last question. Um, you're a Duke graduate. Um, I went to Wofford College, and as you know, Wofford beat UNC in basketball last year. Um, 
as a justice, can you just declare that Walker now is the, now the best basketball program in the state? Are you allowed to do that on this podcast? Sure, absolutely. Okay. I can certainly declare that it's better than any team in North Carolina except for Duke, NC State, and Wake Forest, and Appalachian State, and Western Carolina, and Eastern You, you, you can stop there. It's better, than, <laughs> it's better than any college in Chapel Hill. How about that? Thank you. All right. That's all I need. <laughs> so we do have a segment that we do with every guest called the cross-examination question. And finally, I have the opportunity to question <laughs> Dave's been looking forward to this. Justice yes. of the South Carolina Supreme Court. So the first question we'd like to ask is a pretty lighthearted one. Uh, since you were the Blue Devil mascot, what's your best mascot story? Pretty crazy time being a Blue Devil, I'm sure. Basketball season, what's the best story we got? The best story probably was at the very first home game, home football game, we were playing the University of South Carolina. And my mom was there, my brother and sister were there, a bunch of my friends from Greenwood, uh, Susan Agardi and Anna Graham Reynolds were from Greenwood, were cheerleaders on the South Carolina team, and I'd gone to high school with them. And I show up to the stadium wearing my Blue Devil outfit, <laughs> and the guy at the gate that I'm supposed to go through says, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be up on the soccer field. And I looked at him, I said, soccer field? It's a football game. And so he says, get your up to the soccer field. <laughs> so I went up to the soccer field, and nobody had told me this. There was a helicopter waiting there. And they flew me into the stadium on a helicopter. And as I was as I was flying in, I got all excited and I took my right leg and put it out onto the rail and I was pumping that pitchfork up and down and everybody in the stadium thought I was gonna get the pitchfork up in the rotors. That was very exciting. That was a story that really doesn't have any kind of grounds of for moral reproach on me. <laughs> there are some that I could tell. We won't we won't we won't get into We won't this. broadcast those. <laughs> That's what you got podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know you already have your dream job, sitting justice on the South Carolina Supreme Court, but if you weren't a lawyer, you weren't a justice, what job would you have? What would you pick? I would like to lead a business. Entrepreneur. particular type? Yeah. I don't know that there's any particular type, but one of the things that, that fascinates me about where we are as a society now with social media making information travel so quickly and, and and we've not we but social media has created a situation in which business leaders not only must watch out for their financial interests by the perceptions that people draw from what they do but it also creates opportunity for business leaders to really make positive impact that perhaps didn't didn't exist 50 100 years ago so so I would like to I think to it would be it would be fantastic to be the leader of a business that set as a value helping people in their in, in their to have stability to have profitability to have a, a life in a, in, a, in a community that 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 they find fulfilling now you know as a leader of a business you can't ever you can't ever forsake that bottom line. We started off this whole conversation right. about making money because that's what the the private sector is, and the free enterprise system is about. But, but the, in many many ways, those are not inconsistent, and that discipline of business leadership to see opportunities where the goal of making money and the opportunity to help people are not inconsistent is one that I I find fascinating. 
core mission of helping people while making money. <laughs> that's the business of law. I mean, in a nutshell as well. So there's certainly an easy segue to see that as far as being an entrepreneur. Just a few. Thank you for joining us at, on the uh, Direct Examination podcast. We're incredibly honored to have you here. If you're an attorney in South Carolina and you're listening to my voice right now, go to scprobono.org. That's SC, like South Carolina, probono.org. Register, help some people, um, and let's get this program, uh, you know, give this program a bump from the podcast and let's get it going across the state. You can follow uh, Justice Few on Twitter at JCFew, J-C-F-E-W. You can follow the podcast at SC Law Pod on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. I always forget the Instagram. You can follow me at Joseph P. Bias on Twitter. You can follow Dane at SC Krim Lawyer. And, of course, Amber has the best one, mm-hmm. at Red Judicata, for our ginger friend, Amber. Um, for Justice Few, for Dane, for Amber, and for our wonderful producer, Brindy, thanks for listening. And we'll see you all next week. And I'm going to jump in with one last one. If you want to watch <laughs> Justice Few recorded live, all the oral arguments on the South Carolina Supreme Court are recorded on scourts.org. I think if you're a young lawyer, especially one that wants to argue before the court, before you have your argument, and even if you're a young lawyer that doesn't want to appear before the court but wants to learn more about how uh, the process works and, of course, how the laws are made as far as are interpreted by the Supreme Court, go to SC Courts. There's a video archive. Every oral argument that the court does is on there, and I think it's uh, an invaluable resource for young lawyers uh, that they should go and watch. Cool. Thank you. Thank you all for having me. Thank you.